What is up, everyone, and welcome to Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, punch down on that, subscribe. But in today's show, Rob Folder, shooting coach of the Miami Heat, joins in to talk shooting, visualization, mental processing, and much more. Just a fantastic conversation with Rob. Go follow the shooting guy on Instagram. Big shouts to Rob for joining in in person in New York City to record this one. Can't wait for you all to hear it. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. I do, I do. I, I say I'm hooping. I'm not hooping, hooping. Does that make sense? Of course. <laughs> you're you're getting a sweat. You're getting exercise while playing hoops. So you're in town just for combos court. I guess there's like a Knicks game or something, but you're really here for combos court. Yeah, that's. I mean, priorities are. You have to keep your priorities <laughs> in order. <laughs> Most definitely. So you know, when people ask me. What advice would you give your younger self? Which is a great question. I ask people that on my podcast all the time. The first thing that comes to my mind is actually shooting. Like, because yeah, I know so yeah, much more about yeah. shooting now <laughs> than I did in the past. And then the other thing that comes to my mind is like, it's a butterfly effect. Like I wouldn't be where I am today if everything didn't go just the way it was. So the answer could be nothing. Like I wouldn't really give myself any advice, but yeah. shooting is blinking there because I know a lot more because of you, right? right. right? <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> because the way I look at shooting now is totally different, but through your journey, when did you start to look at the way people shoot the basketball? Maybe it was yourself a little bit differently than everyone else. Well, it, it's it's funny. I think I, I always did, uh, whether it was consciously or subconsciously trying to solve the puzzle. Uh, but as I, you know, as I got older and um, through your playing, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be pretty observant about how people do things and, and that. Um, because to like to give myself uh, advice from the future going back, saying what would I do differently? Um, the way that I taught myself how to shoot, I don't I don't think I would have changed that. And right. I, and I and I taught myself how to shoot. I never saw anybody else learn like this, and it wasn't because of this this thing that I have now. It's just that I thought about trying to approach it differently because I, you know, I was a really little, I was a little kid until eighth grade. I, I, Me too. Well, Mine was actually 10th grade or 11th grade. I really grew. Right. So we're like, we have a similar story. Yeah. yeah. Well, and so if I were to give myself advice, I guess a couple of things, just from a basketball sense, I mean, there's a whole bunch of other life advice we'd, I'm sure we'd go back and tell ourselves, but from a basketball sense, I think... 
I was lucky in, in a couple of respects. I was a, a reasonably smart kid. So I was early in school. To give myself athletic advice, I was a 17-year-old college freshman. I should have been a 19-year-old college freshman. Like, yeah, like everybody, that helps. Like everybody else. And had I been that, that I had two growth spurts. Because when I left, <clears throat> I moved to a, a new neighborhood. I moved from downtown Detroit out to the suburbs when my parents, uh, my mom got remarried. Now I'm in, in this new place. And I'm, I'm a tiny midget kid. You know, I was, I was five foot three when I left eighth grade. And there were people, you know, there were, I had one of the kids on my team was dunking in eighth grade. You know? Yeah, yeah. I was making it. When I was a kid, there was a bunch of kids like that. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. and I didn't understand why. I didn't understand, well, that kid's two, two years older than you or a year and a half right. older than you. Right. Like, oh, okay. So I, I think had I, if I would be able to redo this, I would, I would have gone to college at the right time. Because when I was 19, which for me was at the end of my sophomore year in college. Between my sophomore year and junior year, I just became a whole different, I grew two inches in college. When I left eighth grade, I was five foot three, five foot three and a half. When I came back for ninth grade, I was five foot 11. <clears throat> Didn't sleep much, very, very much that summer, obviously. You were in pain. In a lot of pain, yeah. but when I came back, there were people that were friends of mine from school that didn't recognize me. Like, yeah. who's that? I said, well, that's that angry little kid that yeah. everybody's been picking on. That gives you a chip on your shoulder. Yeah, yeah. So that part was great. But and, and then the one other thing I would say is, coming from a different era, I was told not to work out, lift, not to get strong. Because the thinking back then, I mean, this is, I mean, I graduated high school in 1979. You know, I'm an right. old, old man. <laughs> so we were told that weight training would, screw up your shot and make you slower and other kind of things like that. It was just a misunderstood thing. Very similar to the game, analytics, shooting, you know, just about everything. Everything evolves into something else. And it, had I been able to go back and train, I was a pretty athletic kid, you know. I was fast, but I could have been a lot faster training. Like hanging around the guys that I know now, I thought, oh my gosh, if I could have trained like this, when I was a player and I was an absolute psychopath, competitor, worker, right, right. you know, I mean, I would have had probably, I'd have had a 45 inch vertical jump and I would have ran uh, probably at least a tenth of a well, second. It was close to 40 anyway, right? It was 40, yeah. but I mean, imagine if you, you trained every day for it. 100%. Yeah. Never, I mean, you, you never know, especially with our guys now, like being around my heat guys. They said, oh, my gosh, we could have put six, eight inches on your jump. And I thought, I only needed half of that. <laughs> besides being able to jump higher, it just makes you quicker. It makes you more explosive. It makes you, you know, everything. But, um, but that part I would have, you know, go back, train, get stronger, learn, you know, go that angle like the modern game. Uh, and then wait until I was the right age to go to school. And, you know, the basketball path would have been very different, probably. But then again, I think about it, then I probably wouldn't have gone down this road. The butterfly effect. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's hard to say. Like, you can say, well, let's change this or let's change that. But, you know, if I, if I had gone a different direction and my basketball career was different, maybe I wouldn't have my daughter or my grandson. Wow. That's yeah. an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah.
Was there a moment when you started actually looking at the way you shoot the basketball different? The philosophy you have today, was that an evolution or was it a moment when you realized this is how people should be shooting the basketball and this is the most effortless path? Yeah, I think that the way that I, I taught myself, um, I started teaching myself in seventh and eighth grade. Um, and I was a really good little player. You know, right, I was right. a good one-on-one -on -one player and I could beat everybody I played against except for a couple guys that were too big for me. And, um, and it was because I could shoot. But I, the way that I taught myself, I started, I, I developed this thing called the clamshell. Okay. Right? So if you think about it, the one thing I did pick up on quickly is that the most important thing to shoot the ball well was to shoot it straight. Right. That's never changed. So building on that, how do you make the ball go straight? Well, and it's funny, it's like when I do pass it to the basket, most of the stuff that I teach now, not most, some of it was retroactive. When I go back and I kind of, you know, rebuilt it from how I learned myself. And then I say, okay, how can we create a real way to do this? But if I'm trying to shoot it straight and, you know, you're just passing it like this, if I hold it like this and I just passed it from there, and plus I had, you know, little hands. Right. You know, being a little kid, I mean, if you're trying to hold a ball like this, you can't protect it. You can't, you can't play like this. Right, right. Your so everybody said, put a T in your thumbs and, okay, great. Now, how do you hold the ball when there's a defender right in front of you? You can't. Yeah. So I taught myself how to hold the ball here so I could protect it, put it on my hip pockets. And when I wanted to go left, I just turn it over. I'd go right, turn it over. And then when I'd go up, you know, I, I started here, but then when I started to become a little bit more of a player of our ninth grade, I'd hold the ball here. And then as I went up, I wouldn't put any pressure on my left hand and it would just slide into that tee and I could shoot it straight. And that became my, those became my habits. So I started watching other people and say, well, why are, why are my friends struggling? You know, that's always been kind of my motivation. How do I help my friends? You know, right. It's kind of why I went down this path of trying to figure out how the game is, how, how it all works. Because I just wanted to help my friends. And as it turns out, as you go on, my friends are just really high-level basketball people. And now you have this different platform and... You know, here we yeah. are. Here we yeah. are playing the Knicks, you know? Yeah, there you go. And <laughs> as I'm saying, like, I'm hooping, but not hooping, hooping, but I'm hooping. And <laughs> you could just feel the difference when you put into practice what you preach. And the way I explain it to people is that now, when working on my own shot or evaluating others, I look at what the basketball is doing even more than what the person is doing. That's a that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, yeah. I. I have a lot of people that'll come to me with a new technology, gadget, gizmo. Here's what we can do. We can take these angles. I think I've had this conversation with you before. Cameras where you have a camera from this angle, a camera from front on, from top, all that kind of stuff. So you can show the people and then they create an avatar to show the player what the player is doing. And I, <laughs> I, t I always take the reverse approach. I said, that's great, but from a simplicity standpoint, Players are really talented scientists and artists. And there's a whole bunch of categories that everybody falls into. But if you put them under those two big umbrellas, you know, some people want to figure out the details, other people paint. You know, you give mm -hmm. them an image and they create an image. Right. The others are, you know, the scientists are, they'll figure out how to, cre how to create this picture by 
the little pieces, putting them together. So anyway, I said, if you take this picture, rather than having the avatar, just take the video and take the player out. Yeah. And let him watch what the ball does. Because the first time you see that, and, and when I had that conversation with you or Mike or anybody that I teach, and I say, if we're trying, and you've seen that, if you're trying to create this perfect arc or this shape of the ball for this a shot, before. <laughs> I said, what does it actually do? Right. And everybody, when they grab it, they stick the ball out, and then they do this, and it goes, there's three different directions. Well, okay. A lot of people will talk about the swing of the basketball and this movement and that movement, but from a, just a pure physics standpoint, efficiency of energy, when you have inertia going, you basically start the ball going this way. Then you have to stop that energy. Then you have to redirect it backwards, stop it again, and then redirect it forwards, all while where we are, the best players in the world are trying to stop you from doing that. So if you've got to do three things just on your own, while you're trying to catch your balance, while a lot of people are trying to find the seams yeah. and run full speed to get away from the fastest defenders in the world, how are you going to make that work? So just from an efficiency standpoint, if you just approach it from the physics, the geometry, and that kind of thing, it, it actually simplifies things, even though it sounds like a complex conversation. Yeah. Because what you're trying to do in, you know, the, the path of the ball, it, it, it actually, it, it'll have a slight curve simply because your body has curves. You know, if you put the ball in your hip pocket and grown men, athletes, when you pull it up, you can't draw a straight line from your hip pocket to your shoulder because your body's in the way. So you're going to have shape, you know, but the better that you can, you know, the closer you can trace that shape and, and you're trying to achieve, you know, uh, perfection. I always get a kick out of that because I always, when I ask that at, at clinics and camps, I'll say, you know, kids, fill in the blank. Practice makes everybody else perfect. And I go, eh. <laughs> I said, there's no such thing as perfect. There is only striving for perfection. Right. But practice makes permanent. And the more that you get a habit, the more that you loop something in over and over and over and over, the closer you can get to that perfect rep. You know? Yeah. Do you, you ever see Ford versus Ferrari? No. It's a phenomenal movie. Phenomenal okay. movie. Uh, Christian Bale plays uh, a driver, Ken Miles, when uh, Ford was trying to win the 24 Hours of Daytona. And <clears throat> Matt Damon's playing Carroll Shelby, which is, he's the designer of the Shelby Cobra. Anyway, Ken Miles is talking to his son, and he's talking about the lap at... Um, 24 hours at Le Mans and he's going through and he's he's drawing this picture and the son's walk, you know with him okay and he he gets all the way around and he explains every single detail all the way through the lap and he, at the end he says the perfect lap and the kid's sitting there listening I mean he's just engulfed in this and and it kind of speaks to the journey that everybody has with greatness you're always you're trying to achieve perfection, knowing that you cannot do it. That's why everybody says success is a journey rather than a destination. Hundred <clears throat> percent. So if you think about, and I can't remember his name, but the guy that uh, <clears throat> did free solo, 
and he climbed El Capitan. Yeah. And he did it over and over and over and over. He can tell you, and I, and I find this in some of the hikes that I do, he can tell you every toehold and every millimeter <coughs> on the entire climb. And that's what, you know, that's why you hear that phrase, uh, amateurs work till they get it right, professionals work till they can't get it wrong. And that's when, you know, when you start going down this road of perfection. So if you're doing that, simplicity becomes a big deal because the more complex things are, obviously, the more difficult that is to achieve perfection or to repeat consistently. So from a shooting standpoint, when you start going, talking about um, how do you shoot quickly, how do you shoot and do your preparation early and create the most efficient path, the most efficient transfer of energy, et cetera, et cetera. So it's kind of how all that, you know, it's, I know it's a roundabout way, but it kind of, that's how you start going down that path. I mean, you've worked with kids, you obviously work with professionals now. <clears throat> what are the biggest issues when you see people shooting the basketball when it comes to not being able to get that perfect energy transfer? It, and does it change from the kids to the pros? The biggest issues are how somebody started to learn. Okay. You know, and, and that's where, you, when I start talking to people about this, <laughs> the joke I always make when I start my when I start lectures at big clinics with high level people said, "Listen, I'm not trying to be controversial here, but basketball's always been taught wrong." <laughs> and everybody will kind of look at each other, and there'll be a little snicker. And I said, "I get what that sounds like, but bear with me. If you understand, so I, when I started studying, learning, teaching, creating a skill, there's you have to study the nervous system." Right. Because you have to understand how the body fires, the function of all the joints and muscles, and the kinesiology of it, the anatomy and physiology of it. And you have to go through this complete understanding of this complex issue to get to the simplest thing. What's the one thing, right? It's a great book. You know, Mike and I talk about it all the time. I'm sure you've read it. But it's like if you say to somebody, what is that one thing? So if you're looking for that one thing, you have to understand all of them to pick out and prioritize. So <clears throat> when you start talking about efficiency, and I look at how people learned, there's a thing called central programming generator. Basically, the, how you first do something is how you always do it, unless you consciously change it. So if you know that picture of the first time you pick up a ball when you're a little kid, it's always the same. Everybody did it. I did it. And you bend over and you're smacking it on the ground and right. you're facing the ground. And that is, you know, that was the first, that's the first biggest problem everybody has. Is there a way to change that with somebody that young right away? Learn how to move your body first. Because the ball is an implement. So you don't even think you should bring the ball into the equation early? Or make it so there's not a consequence to the action. People get wrapped up in the consequences. You know, like you've heard that conversation, somebody will take a terrible shot or shoot it a goofy way and, and what's the dumb answer? Well, it went in. Okay, well I can, <laughs> I can bounce the ball from half court and make it go in once, is that how I should do it? Right, it's just, it's a deflection, it's a defense mechanism. So if you take out the consequence of whether or not you're making something and you're just learning a motion, uh, golfers do this. When you're, when you're working on a putting stroke, just put on a line with no hole. 
And all you're doing is learning how to move the ball, get the ball to move down the line, get your start line to be straight, get your putting stroke to, you know, you want to see what your putter can do, et cetera, et cetera. It's the same thing in everything else. Most games, most things are taught differently than basketball was. That's why I always said basketball was taught kind of backwards because we learned from the ball. And we made up all this stuff with our body to react to the ball. When the ball is supposed to react to you, yeah, you know, if you stand up and stand still and take the ball and move it around your back, you know, and the ball goes like you start doing pistol Pete Maravich drills. You can make I watch all the homework basketballs, by the way. Do you remember those? <laughs> those are yeah. I think those and um, I always tell people if you want to learn how to handle the ball and just become a better ball relationship guy, go just go do pistol Pete stuff. Yeah, man. I mean, great. he was so, oh my gosh, what? So he was so far ahead of the game. It's ridiculous. Um, from a skill level, too. <coughs> from just Incredible. a skill Like, people think about the flashy stuff with him, but they don't think about could score with either hand, three level score, all the stuff that guards are doing today, catch and shoot, whatever you want yeah. from any angle, just puts the yeah. defense in jail. You know, sh- shooting it from deep with range. Can you imagine him today? Because people don't realize. Pistol Pete was almost six foot six. Yes. And he was the fastest guy in the building. Yes. All that, <laughs> all that stuff. Everybody's talking about the flash, but oh my, you couldn't stay in front of him. Yeah. And he was so deceptive, and there wasn't any dribble he couldn't make or any pass he couldn't throw, and any shot he couldn't make. So yeah. Th- now you got to, that's a real problem. And he's big. Yeah. And he yeah. can shoot it, you know, the width of his shooting window is as wide as his hands could be. He can shoot it all the way over here, all the way over here. An absolute problem. Yeah. yeah. Yikes. When you watch players like that, I mean, you must look at the way he shoots differently than maybe others do. Was there something, like, did he have great energy transfer? I don't know. I never really well, went back and thought about it in that way. The one thing about the one thing about greatness is it's kind of universal, you know? Mm-hmm. The way that you get there is obsession, commitment. Drive and people have a negative connotation of that word obsessive. Yeah, that's but you know it, it's like unfortunately greatness always talks about obsession is the lazy man's word for dedication. I agree. You know, and I, that phrase that kind of rung out with me for a long time. There was a T-shirt. So the one of the reasons I, I got into shooting there was uh, uh, probably arguably the best shooter that's ever touched a basketball was George Lehman. This goes back. And yeah, he's yeah, a New York guy. Good. George, I saw George do a lecture on film, and then I got to see him in person. Now, George was a big guy, too, and he was a, he was a competitive monster. But I watched him walk into the gym on a Pro Keds video, and the first thing it says, the caption says, this film is unedited. And you watch him walk in, and he proceeds to walk in, take his sweat jacket off. They were doing the thing with the toss back, and his brother, Austin, who was arguably the world's fastest ball handler at the time. And he comes in and makes 257 jump shots in a row, puts the ball down, and leaves. <laughs> now, I'm watching this. So then I went and watched him in person, thinking, okay, come on. That's- so how old were you when you were watching him, and how old was he around? Uh, I'm, I'm guessing I was either in junior high or just at the start of high school. Okay. So when I went to a lecture, he was in the Detroit area, same thing, I watch him walk in the gym and he starts shooting and it's he was the easiest guy in the world to rebound for. Just stood back there and kicked it back to him. He made shots nonstop. And then 
I th- <laughs> similar to when I when I started playing golf, I saw a TV commercial of Lee Trevino pick up a golf ball with his wedge, and he's making his jokes. <clears throat> and he says, "Never play golf with a guy that can do this." And he picks up the ball. He goes on the on the face of the wedge, bounce, 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 and he flicked it up in the air, and he caught it in his pocket. <laughs> and I went, "I want to do that. I want to be able to do that." So I taught myself how to do that. It was the same when I saw George shoot. When he stood there and he started making all those shots, I went, I want to do that. And, and that was before you were looking at what the basketball <coughs> was doing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't, again, most of the stuff that I, that I built for teaching now was retroactively cre- uh, created. I'd look back at things that I did that were productive, things that people struggled with. That's why I said the problems in basketball were always the same. And there were a lot of really talented, committed people out there coaching, playing, trying to create yeah. a better thing. They weren't ill-intentioned. Correct. Yeah. And they're completely committed, and yet it was almost like there was a ceiling there, and everybody just kept trying to do the same things. And it was Albert Einstein's, the definition of insanity. Yeah, I don't want to keep going back to me, but like when I... <clears throat> you know, I, I definitely found marginal improvements as a shooter over the years. But when I met you, like, you could just feel the difference. It was like just the way I looked at shooting, everything. It was like a huge difference. There was no ceiling anymore. You right, know? right. And the, the blessing of that is is understanding. You know, when, I, when I'm working with somebody, I, I, I want them, I started with the why of it all. I want them to understand the why. Why does this happen? Why does this happen? Why are you feeling this? Why are you feeling this? And, and when you know that why, then you can figure out the how. Can yeah. somebody figure it out if they don't try it themselves? Like a coach, like it was a lot easier for me to understand when I did it myself, right? No, no question. Because yeah. there's, a, there's a certain feel about things that, you know, that I, I don't mean to keep hearkening back to golf, but I got a chance to play with <laughs> Lee Trevino one time. Okay. And, you know, you're out there just listening to this guy who's, we know he's special. It's, it would be like standing, let's say, Steph, walk me through the, the your life of shooting. And, and, you know, people would be really fascinated with that. Because the conversations at the highest levels are just plain different. You know? How so? Detail, places people go. Lee Trevino, t- he was talking about... He says, yeah, I use these clubs because there's, I can feel the bounce, and he starts talking about turf interaction. Details, right? Yeah, being able to feel how the club interacts with the ground when he hits it. Now think about that. The bottom of the golf swing, it goes, and it's on the ground for milliseconds. He can tell you exactly what just happened. And that's what the greatness part is. Because even like with, with my guys, I see something, I can say it to them, and they, they already know it, but they didn't know what. I'll say, they hey. They can feel something is not what, right. Yeah, something's off. What is it? And that's where, that's where the blessing of like, our relationships, they, can, they know. They'll look at me, and they know, I've already, I, they know I'm seeing it. They know I've already seen it. And they'll come over, and some of them will just kind of, what are you seeing, Rob? And I'll say, and I'll tell them. And then five seconds later, they go, Got it. And, and the ball changes. Does it change from person to person how long it takes them to trust you? I, mean, I think that's, uh, that's inherent with the, everybody's personality. Right. Uh, 
it doesn't it doesn't take that long anymore simply because of normally they they already know when they get to me what's happened before because they'll know somebody that's gone through this well do they yeah. understand everything about what i talked about with how the basketball moves even more important than what they're doing do they realize this before they start working with you or after they start working like when do they start really <clears throat> analyzing that part of that from themselves or even when they're watching somebody else shoot the basketball well it, it depends on it goes back to those two umbrellas it depends on if it's someone who's a scientist or an artist okay okay artists don't need to artists don't pay by numbers you know like we should do that with um, um, you could go teach Dwayne something in shoot around, this was a fun, a fun memory. The very last game Dwayne played when we played the Brooklyn Nets, he has a triple double, okay, and he's it's, he's playing this game for the ages for for Dwayne and right. and uh, during the game, I happen to be sitting behind the bench that game. He comes off the court and he goes, he says, "Rob, he says I gotta make one more three. I gotta make one more three. And I said, I said. This is what you have to do. And I told him because he was, I said, you got to get the ball up earlier and shoot it earlier. More on the rise, D. Got it. Now imagine he walks out on the court and it's not, I mean, he's obviously done this stuff before. But he walks out on the court and I watch the first shot he shoots about a 17 footer. I watch him make the adjustment and then he knows. And he goes and makes another, th he, he goes and shoots the next three and looks as easy as it can possibly be. And then he throws the last assist over to Udonis to for the triple double and <laughs> but that's what but he's an artist. Like you could say something to him, you can teach him show him something and and shoot around and he'll take it in the game. He's done that with um, Chris Quinn and he'd go back and forth with Quinny and, and Quinny will say, Here, do this, do this, do this and during the game he'll do something he's never done before. He just did it that morning and he'll point over at the bench. Yeah, that was it. I just <laughs> just did it. But that's an that's an artist. Okay. You know, uh, more of the categories. I mean, the scientist wants to understand, get the details right. And then there's mechanics who have to kind of work out the, you know, work out the kinks and they work through stuff and they'll, you know, try this and try that until they finally go, oh, there you go. That That's what works, you know? So, wow. <coughs> I think I'm, you know, well, podcasting is an art, but I think I'm more of a scientist, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, well you've had millions of conversations with me. What yeah. am I? Well, I think what happens is... Not to make this all about me. <laughs> <laughs> but it should be. See, like it says that's true, that's there. true. But it, see, I think what happens is these things, there's, there's a part, there's an artist in everybody, there's a science, mm. scientist in everybody, there's a mechanic in everybody, you know, there's a, a, there's a paint by numbers guy and there's a paint by image guy in everybody. So it's a matter of what what combination of those things create the uh. best for each player, each person, you know? So when you have somebody that understands the why of it all, and then you can just give them the picture to paint. So they don't go through the, do I really want to do it this way? And then they just, there's a, there's a, a, a great movie called um, Seven Days in Utopia. And um, <laughs> it's funny, it's Robert Duvall is in it. And he's an ex-golf pro that nobody knows. And it's this, I uh, um, can't remember the star of the uh, movie, but really good actor that I, that I like a lot. But anyway, he, he, he's playing a golfer that, that blows up in a tournament and crashes his car in this little town called Utopia, Texas. Utopia. And he kind of stumbles across this guy. And 
he goes through this whole thing about understanding the why, and then what they're doing is he's, he actually painted a picture for this golfer and say, here, make the ball do that. And when you can do that with a player, if they understand, you first have to understand why are you, why do things happen? Then you can, you know, like I go back that golden ring of learning. People start with the what, how, why. And often they never get to the why. I always did it reverse. Why, how creates what? You know, how do I do this? Wow, yeah. You know, so if you... It, it, oh, because the result is last. As it should be. Yeah. that's always the finish line. Right. Right? So, and I think, you know, I think when... If you go down the path of what and then how, how do I do this what, you may never get to the why, which is the most important thing to understand. Because then when you understand the why, you can now... You open up this thing and you create this whole world of... I don't know call it whatever you want, art, that, you know, or some, some gift that you're giving out that, here, this is what I'm capable of, this is what I, you know, like you think about people have this in their minds, you know, they, they have a why of, I want to, you know, this is, this happens, I want to understand this, and the, oh, well, this is how it happens, this is, what, this is what it is, and, you know, you start creating these incredible uh, innovations and, you know, it's, I, I don't know how to describe it, but uh, it's this almost otherworldly thing that it's hard to put a, you know, it's hard to, hard to put a finger on, you know. But everybody knows exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, you mentioned Ball early with, with D-Wade. Did he just realize that in the last game of his career? Or he, no, this is something, no. This is, always, this is something you always work on. And this, is, this could lead to, like, a broader conversation of sequencing, right? Yeah. So did he just realize that there? Could this have helped him earlier in his career? No, no, but w- basketball is a game of habits. Ah, uh, okay. So yeah. he, knew, he knew that this is what <coughs> Wait, you wanted him to do, right? Oddly, I think his last year, he had his best three-point shooting year of his That's career. That's how it goes sometimes, right? Yeah. yeah. And it was, I mean, it was, a, it was a, a, a small jump from his previous best, but I think he had his two highest uh, volume makes in, in the NBA in his last year. Well, the game was changing, too. And so was he, obviously. I mean, as you, yeah, right, right. As you, as you get older, you have to evolve your game. But shot profile, all of that. Sure. Um, yeah. And but the idea is, he was able to make the adjustment right then and there, just by yes. the suggestion. Where you may not be able to do that with others. That's what talent level is, you know. And plus, talent matters. Talent matters. <laughs> talent is the number one separator of everything. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. always going to be whether I mean you can you can outwork some talent, but when but when talent has work ethic, yeah, then you have Kobe, Kobe, Giannis, LeBron, Mike. You have these generational talents. You know, go back, Pistol Pete. But the guy, the guy, but the guy with the work ethic <clears throat> and not as much talent will maximize what his career will look like. Like. Fringe, maybe there's a fringe NBA guy yeah. that had to work really hard to get there, right? Yeah. Maybe not the most talented, but he made a career of himself because of his work ethic, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or depending on, you know, depending on what the game thought of him, how he changed himself and turned into another, another. I mean, you can think of those stories all over the place. Right. I mean, he's full of them. Guys that nobody ever heard of. All of a sudden, whoa. Yes, where yes. Where these guys come from? Yes. You know, so you're looking for, you're looking for that, that DNA 
that work ethic, DNA, the competitiveness. Um, and then you had this, the, I think the definition of talent for me is much broader than most. Like if I say define talent, they'll kind of narrow it down into skill and athleticism rather than mental processing and the ability, you know, the basketball IQ has become kind of permeated vernacular now. It's like, whoa, that, that basketball IQ is really high. That's great. But that that ability to process the game faster than Wow, faster you told me something else. crazy the other day that I never thought of. You told me that when people think the game is slowing down, it's just their brain's moving faster. Yeah, the game never slows down. The game's getting faster all the time. But it's, it's Keanu Reeves in the Matrix, you know. He says, wait, he's, he's talking to, uh, it's Neo and Morpheus. And Morpheus says, and Neo looks at him and says, wait, so you're telling me that when I get this, I'll be able to dodge bullets? That's right. what he says, no, Neo. When it's your time, you won't have to. Basically saying your mind is going to control everything out here. Once you break out, break out of the matrix. So you see, and you have to go through this process of believing that your brain is capable of doing it. You know, like when you look in that movie, and they're standing on top of the building, and they're both on top of the building, and Morpheus goes, Doink, and he jumps from one building to the other. <laughs> and, you know, the guys that are with him are looking at Neo. It's like, is he going to be able to do it? And he looks at it, and you can see the hesitation. He's standing there. It's like, okay, all right. And he doesn't believe so he runs off the building because he's supposed to, and he ah, crashes into the cement, of course, at the end, because he didn't believe that he could do it. And once you once you conquer the conquer your mind, that your mind can create. That's where psychocybernetics came from. That's one of the ways that I taught myself to shoot. I did thousands of reps every day. I I used to shoot a lot of days. I'd shoot two thousand shots a day, but I probably shot five thousand shots every day because I would be in my bed sitting here picturing myself shooting, picturing the ball, picturing myself with a move that I didn't have time to practice. And I would teach myself through mental imagery. And that was, you know, when I was a kid, that was just starting to become a thing because there were basketball people, football people, golfers. Jack Nicklaus was famous for visualization, and they were all picturing Things and there was, and, and then this this stuff came out. Psychocybernetics, transcendental meditation, right? The ability to put yourself in a in a place of presence, and then to be able to picture tasks and things in your mind, and then I would every once in a while I would find myself doing something in the game that I'd never practiced before, but I practice it here. Your body doesn't, know, your mind doesn't know if your body's done it or not, because your mind is if your mind constantly keeps working on reps and you can create something for your body to do without necessarily physically doing it yes you know sounds otherworldly but that's that's pretty that's a lot how greatness works yeah yeah the ability to tap into that brain we think about you know people say the smartest people in the world are only able to use 10 percent of the capacity of your brain so what does that 20 percent look like that's why the movie Lucy is so fascinating. Yeah. She talks, they talk about at 10%, you do this, at 20%, at 40%, you know. All of a sudden, you're like, whoa, doing things that nobody could even imagine. But that's, you know, you watch guys, like, what's, are there guys that were as athletic as Michael Jordan? Yeah. LeBron? Yeah. yeah. Wilt? 
Yeah, Wilt was. I mean, I still don't understand why people don't ever talk about Wilt as the greatest player of all time. His seventy-three NBA records. Now, I agree with you. I saw a list, and he's actually a co-host of mine. <clears throat> Shouts to Max. He had Wilt at eleven. And I had to, I, want, I didn't text him yet, but I'm going to text him, Max. <laughs> you, you had Wilt at 11. I'm talking to the camera, Max. Come on, man. He, he averaged 50. To you too, Max. I don't know you. <laughs> You've seen him pop up on my yeah, IG. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But he's, I mean, that guy led the league in every single category that there's ever been a statistic for. And he would have led the league in block shots, and he'd probably lead the world in block shots. They didn't keep block shots when he was there. Imagine that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That is true. I think it was around like the Akeem era, or before, a little before, a little after that, when they started counting yeah, it, right? I and mean, they kept track for Bill Russell, and I, which is why I can't figure out why they don't have it for. Oh, really? They did? Yeah. Or, or some. I mean, they so they were like, they probably thought, well, Bill's getting so many of these, we got to well, start counting them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, yeah. But you know, those but those guys overlapped, and I I couldn't figure out why they couldn't. I mean, I would love for somebody to go back. In the archives of every game, every film, and go see how many block shots they have. Yeah, you know, because here's the guys that averaged what twenty five rebounds a game for their career. Here's a guy that averaged fifty, led the league in assists. Everybody said, "Wait, Wilt says, hey, they said I couldn't pass." Led yeah. the league in assists. Led the league in assists. Insane. Fifty, average fifty. Now think about that now. How'd you do last night, Combo? How'd you do? I had thirty five. Oh, that's a great night. Nah, I got to get seventy to get my average. Yeah. Yeah. I on the, 65 on the, on, get my average. On the bad nights, you're getting like 42, 45. Right? <laughs> you, score 40, you score 42, you got to score 58 the next day to keep your average. And think about the motor he must have had. It's ridiculous. That, like, I remember like scoring 30 uh, overseas. I was exhausted. Like, imagine 50. This is, this is the appreciation. <laughs> that, this is the hard thing that people don't understand about the true great players of the world. Well, do you think it's tough to appreciate the greatest players ever if you haven't been through the channels? Well, and I think there's some great analysts of the game that never really played, but I do think there's a different kind of perspective when you've seen grassroots, when you've seen high school, when you've seen college, Mm -hmm. when you've seen pro, and then you could kind of appreciate the highest level a little bit more. Well, I think, you know, I think you can have a, a, a certain type of appreciation, yes, but there's a depth of it for people that were doing the same thing. Yes, 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 you know, yes, yes. There's, a, there's people that, that can appreciate what Michael did. Like, I'm sure Kobe appreciated what Michael did more than everybody else did. You know, he, oh, yeah. He was living that same thing. That's why some of the guys who played against him would never, <laughs> ever say anybody's ever greater than him, right? Because they felt it. They felt the... Yeah. I mean, it's been talked about. They felt the fear. People talk do, about and that. They'll, and they'll talk about the same thing. They'll talk about... That guy, Larry Bird. Yes, yes, yes. It's like, uh, those guys, you listen to, go watch the guys talking about Larry. Well, Larry yeah. arguably has the greatest, in my opinion, one of the greatest peaks ever. Like, his three no years, question. his three years, two, three MVPs in a row, three championships. Three MV- Wait, and I think he was, I, I don't, I want to say he was. Wait, those three MVP defense. years, were they three championships as well? I think they, no, it wasn't in a row. But he definitely had those three MVP years. And he was like 30, 10, and 10, something like that. Yeah, he was twenty ten and five for years in a row. And yeah, that yeah. was a big thing until Kevin Garnett did it. And yeah, Giannis is Giannis does it now, and Jokic. But the thing that people don't understand is really how hard it is to carry that water every yes. single day. Tiring. And here's a great example: just what we're going to do today. We played in Toronto last night. 
<clears throat> Slugfest, we lose. We get on a plane. We have to go through customs. We had easily a mile walk through the airport, going to, through passport control. Now you get to the, you got to drive into New York. We're, our guys are going to, I don't know when they're going to wake up. We probably got Who to, knows who's going to get their got luggage? To, probably got to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> 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 my, bag was, my bag was put in somebody else's room, I'm sure. I'm hoping. Anyway. So, but now you've got 3 o'clock in the morning. Now they're, they got to get some sleep. And then you got to wake up and you got to turn around and play somebody that's, you know, got to play the Knicks who are playing for things, as are we. And to try and do what you, you know, what you just did last night. And then you've got to get on a plane, go back home. You'll get home at 3.30 in the morning. You'll have a kind of a day off, which is treatment, getting your body right. And you're going to turn around and play Luca. <laughs> coming yeah, up. Yeah. You know? And they're, you got a desperate group over there. But you watch what, what the this is. It's so hard to appreciate what that level of consistency is. You know, we used to have graphs of people's performance. They'd have a great game, and then they'd you know, have a terrible game. And what you did is you graphed every single game, point total, a total metric for what they did. Points, rebounds, assists, steals, deflections, whatever metric you want to put together, put the total number together, put it on a chart. And it'd be a great thing for people to do to check on their own games. <clears throat> people do it in other sports all the time. So you take that total number, and then the next game you play, what's the number? And then you just put a graph together. And what you do is you draw a line through from game number one to game however many you're going to play in the season. Hopefully 82. Hopefully 82. <laughs> hopefully 100. Yeah, oh, that's right. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Yeah. Aha! Aha! <laughs> so when you do that and you see all these numbers, what you do is you draw a line through the middle, and that's your consistency graph. And when you see, you know, when you follow these lines and up and down and up and down, it gives you an understanding of how hard it is for guys to just plain produce all the time. Yeah. And the guys that do it, that they do it every night, until somebody, like somebody will say, you got to get more, like, well, Steph shoots more threes than everybody else. Okay, great. Go get off 13 threes a game. Go yes. try to just. Yeah. Try to just, if everybody, if the defense knows that you're the, the three-point shooter, go try to get one shot off. Yes. And people are mad, well, he's got to take more threes. Yeah, okay, we know that. So do they, so does the defense, yeah. so does the game plan, so does everything else. It is so hard to get off those shots. 100%. When I'm evaluating draft prospects, I always look at how effortlessly they get off their shot. Yeah. I think that's really important. Yeah. 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 And then see, see how they can move from one place to another. Yes, you know? that is that's a lost too. art. Is how fast, like the sprint catch and shoot guys. You know, you watch these sprint catch and shoot guys that never dribble. Yeah, you know how hard that is to get shot off because people yeah. are chasing you at 100 miles an hour. They don't have to react to the ball. Yeah, and they're just, you know, so it's this, it's it's a fascinating game, which is goes back to. This is why efficiency is so important. If you're sprinting as fast as you possibly can, and the guy that's bigger, stronger, faster, longer than you is sprinting fast as he can, right. you've got to catch it and get rid of it. I want to see you catch it and move the ball in three directions and produce results. Yeah, 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 that's tough. Right. As soon as you, you say that, it's like, oh, well, I can't do that. You mentioned Steph, and I feel like he's the epitome of pass it to the basket. Yeah, yeah. I, 
like you know, I teach three completely different kinds of jump shots, and, right. and most of the game probably. 90% of the game falls into that one category, that momentum, uh, one motion shot. Right. But, you know, there's, there's it, it depends on the nature of your space. How do you create space to get your shots? Are you a quickness guy? Are you a you know, speed guy? Are you an athleticism guy? Are you big? How would you compare the way Clay shoots it and Steph shoots it? Because it is different. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, Steph is a, is a quick off-the-dribble now, he shoots more shots off the dribble. He's a great catch-and-shoot guy, too. Yes. Because he's so efficient. He's He catches the ball, and, and his ball gets loaded, and it's closer to his body than just about anybody. Yeah. And he shoots it from about his eyebrow. Right, right. You know? Connected. Where, where Clay, the, it's a different... The, the thing about Steph is he's so skilled that you can't just run at him because and he runs right, by you. right right and the right. thing that's great about what he does is he goes by you then you go to react to recover and he wants the three he'll go by you and then you start to react and then he pulls back to the three now he's separated and he shoots it right which is incredibly difficult you know that's where this this skill level starts to attach like with clay clay's six foot seven and he's a sprint catch-and-shoot, stationary catch-and-shoot guy. He's not lining you up and backing, you know, shooting all these shots off the dribble. He'll post up and shoot turnarounds and stuff. Yeah. But Clay is more of a, a receiver, run, sprint, cut kind of guy. And his space is different. Yeah. Because he's bigger, um, that ball has to travel farther. So his ball, he, he plays with higher hands than Steph does. And similar to Duncan, like Duncan's six foot eight and yeah. six foot seven. These guys are bigger than people think too. So is Steph, for that matter. But so when Clay comes running off and and that ball hits his hands and his hands ready, he's very connected and the ball moves up. And it, it his release point is, let's m- make up an arbitrary number. Let's say he's shooting it from nine feet, where Steph is shooting it from eight feet, or Steph shooting it from seven feet and Clay shooting it from eight feet. <clears throat> that's where his hands are. And then you go to somebody like Dirk, mm. where Dirk is seven foot one, even though he didn't want to be listed at that. And then he would put his hands up here, and he created this this elbow space. <laughs> right? Because Steph moves you around. Right. Clay runs you around. And then Dirk would create space by the size of his body and the release point of his hands. You yeah, and if you made all of them invisible, would the ball look like it's going on a similar path? Two of them would, one of them does not. Tell me more. So Dirk, Dirk created energy. Steph and Clay do create energy with momentum and speed. So the their basketballs would look similar if we made them invisible. <clears throat> Those two would look similar. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The actual part where it leaves your hands... The point, the release point for those two guys, obviously, is different. Yeah. Um, so one's attached to a body longer. So think about that. If the ball's attached to your body longer, you have more time to get organized. So the faster you get rid of it, the faster you must be prepared. Uh. So if you're loading your hands late and the ball's only traveling this far, it's just much more difficult. So when the ball hits you, you see those guys, you know, load their hands, and the ball's already started up. You don't like the idea of set points. I, but you know what it is? <clears throat> I feel like when I'm shooting, it's combo score. I'm going to keep bringing it back to me. <laughs> when I bring it to the hip, I feel like I could keep it closer to the body and get that energy transfer. Yeah, but I don't think, like, one of the things that I, that I have a hard time with 
is what the hell's the definition of that? I don't know. I just know that when I bring it but there. there. There again, it's it's like arguing. You know, it's, if somebody's going to have a discussion, <laughs> I get myself in trouble here. But think about males and females. Oh no, Rob! Having a discussion, right? Yeah. Rob's trying to go viral. <laughs> well, people are one one person's talking one language because they're they're trying to get to a different end than the other one. Yeah. Right. So it's the same thing with set point. I don't know what that means. Yeah. Does it mean where the ball stops? Does it mean where it changes direction? Does it mean I don't? Yeah. Know? I just like well for me personally, uh, I it, working with what you have taught me over the years. When I bring it to the hip, it's easier to keep it connected to the body. And that's right, what I would think about it. Yeah. That's what I would think about the set point. Me personally. Right. But every time I hear the word set point, they're always talking about somewhere up in the release. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. I mean, like here and then yeah. pass to the basket. Yeah. If you pre- if you have it prepared right when it hits you. Yeah. Hands, yeah. That's why we call it. it always get, for me, I can get there faster now from but working see, on here, it. See, here's the problem to me. Point to me means this singular point. Yeah, yeah. Stop. And, it, you know, subconsciously, there's a, there's part of your, your brain works like this. Yeah. When you give it a suggestion and you're suggesting that there is a point that the ball is set, both of those words yeah. are static and stationary. Rob, what does heat culture mean to you? Well, there's an, you know, it's funny. That it's a good segue, by the way. The word culture, also, what does that mean to people? You know, I, the simplest way I can think of it is it, a culture is simply the way you go about doing things. Yeah. You know, so people have, everybody has a different way of going about doing things. And um, generations have a different way. Um, it, it's funny, too, because everybody talks about, wow, these generations are different. you got to go about it differently. I said, well, that's great. Generations have changed, and the way people approach things have changed. But you know what doesn't change? is winning. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, there's a, there's a part of that, that if you're striving to be a winning organization, a winning player, a winning person, you're always going to do things a certain way. And it's what kind of commitment you have to excellence. You know, so uh, there's a T-shirt that, that the Heat has, the toughest, meanest, nastiest, best prepared, what, best conditioned, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So whatever you feel about the way that you do things, you go out and you set the standards that you are going to live by. And these are, not, these are non-negotiable. Kobe has a great, uh, a great little snippet. Somebody said, and he was talking about a summertime. And he said, and somebody said, well, let's just knock it off here. And he goes, no, that's not what I, that's not what I agreed to with myself. Yeah. He was, he set a standard for himself and it was non-negotiable. Right. So it's kind of, it sounds a little militant, but it's a decision that you've decided to join into this. So it's your commitment to yourself, your commitment to the people that you're working with, the people that you're playing with, your brothers, however you want to uh, label that. And it's, it's this approach to how you do everything. And the interesting thing is most of the people that kind of end up in the, stay with the heat are that way before that. And uh-huh. what you've done is you've found this, a, a great example is, is our best player now, who's been in a bunch of other places, 
It works he, with the heat. He wanted to live in this kind of this kind of way of doing things. Yeah. And the people and I think you get a lot out of yourself when I always love, you know, when people talk about he's he's really motivated. I don't know about that. You know, I mean, it's starting to become a common conversation now about motivation versus habits. Yeah. There's you're not motivated every day. Nobody is. Discipline eats motivation for breakfast. Oh, I like that. I like that. We're going to end it there. (laughs) I love it. Rob, thank you so much for taking the time. You're always welcome back on the show. You're not the biggest social media guy, but where can we find you? Oh, yeah. Uh, Instagram, at the shooting guy. Um, Yeah, I guess that's the only place. My guy, I appreciate you coming by. Thank you for having me. Anytime. Talk soon. My man. There it was, yet another episode of Combo's Court. Big shouts to Rob for joining in. We appreciate you. Combo Nation, don't forget to rate, review, punch down on that. Subscribe button if you enjoyed this episode. Share it with a friend. Share it on your IG stories. Tag me on there at 1-2-Combo. It's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Tweet it out. You can catch me on Twitter at Combo's Court. Same name as the podcast. Appreciate you all. Combo. Out.